0: Hey Timberline, today we're going to be looking at a text that describes Jesus coming as our King. We're going to be in Matthew 21, so go ahead and have your Bibles turned there. In this text, Jesus is going to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey and the crowds are going to be singing, Hosanna, Hosanna to the Son of David. Jesus is riding in during what is known as Passover. At this time, Jerusalem, the population would actually swell five to six times because many people would be, many Jews would be coming from all over the area and they would be coming to Jerusalem where they would be celebrating the fact that centuries prior, God had saved Israel from Egypt by bringing the ten plagues upon Egypt and bringing them through the Red Sea. And so all of Israel, they would gather, they would sing psalms like Psalms 114 to 118, which praise God for how he saved them. And they were looking forward to the day that God would one day save them again, now from Roman rule. And here we have Jesus riding in as a king. And so what we're going to do today in Matthew 21, we're going to look at who is this king that Jesus is and what is this kingdom that he brings. And so if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you, stand. Stand with us as we read God's word. One thing we do at Timberline is we stand at the reading of the word because God's word comes to us inspired by the spirit so that we'd be trained and equipped for every work of righteousness. Here we go. Matthew 21. And spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Um, Let me pray and then we're going to dig into this passage. Oh, Father. Father. Father, we come to you now as we open up your word and we ask for wisdom, we ask for understanding. We're coming into a text that talks about your son, Jesus Christ, whom you sent to this earth and he came as a king. Lord, help us to understand that. Help us to know what it is for Jesus to be our king, what it is for your kingdom to be here on earth and as we long for the day that Jesus returns. Lord, I pray that we would put no hope in things of this world, but our true and everlasting hope would be in your son, Jesus Christ, who rules and reigns on high. Lord, be with us now as we read your word and we study it. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Uh, So in verse 5, we read, your king is coming to you. Now, why is this so important? Who is this king? Why is it that all of Israel is in an uproar as Jesus comes and rides into Jerusalem? And to understand that, I want us to walk through uh, the, the word and see what is, what is the importance of the kingdom of God. For the kingdom of God is this theme that runs from Genesis to Revelation. And we could say it is is the narrative that holds everything else together. And so to start, what I want to do is, is I want to look at what does the Bible say about the kingdom of God. And so we're going to begin in Revelation, the last book of the Bible, and then we'll go back to Genesis and see what it says. But in Revelation, what we have at the end of the book, we have God's kingdom filling all of creation. And we have Jesus sitting on the throne with the Father, and we have the church, God's people, now dwelling in the very presence of God. Here we have God is fully glorified, and man is fully satisfied in the very presence of God. And in this kingdom, there's no sickness, there's no viruses, there's no pandemics. There's no unrighteousness, there's no wickedness, there's no injustice, there's no sin at all. All of the kingdoms of the world have been destroyed and God's kingdom alone stands supreme with Jesus as the king. And so that is the picture that we have at the end of the book. That is where all of history is going. That is what God is working to accomplish right now in history. And so, how do we get there? How do we get to this beautiful picture of God's people in God's kingdom enjoying Him at the end of the book? Well, to understand that, let's go back to the beginning of the book in Genesis. In Genesis chapter one and two, we have God creates a people, Adam and Eve, and He places them in a garden, the Garden of Eden, where they enjoy God's rule. This is a picture of the kingdom of God. God's people, in God's place, enjoying his rule. But what we see that happens real quickly in Genesis 3, man decides, I don't want God to be king. I don't want to worship God. I want to decide what is right and wrong. I want to worship who I want to worship. I want to do what I want to do. And so what we have is this new kingdom that emerges. We have the kingdom of God, but now we have the kingdom of this world. And if the kingdom of God is characterized by righteousness, the kingdom of the world is characterized by unrighteousness. It's characterized by sin and rebellion and wickedness. And what we're told in God's word is that because Adam and Eve sinned, every person that comes after them is now also born into sin. And so we are born into the kingdom of this world. We are born naturally rebelling against the rule of God. We are born naturally rejecting God and wanting to worship and do what pleases us rather than what would most please and honor God. And so we see evidence of this all over the world, how man in the kingdom of the world tries to reject or deny the very existence of God in culture. Uh, Think about it. In India, we have Hinduism. Hinduism worships 33 million gods. They're, They're regularly creating new gods. They're worshiping anything other than the one true God. We also have other religions in this world that prize the killing of Christians. They are purposely attacking the very kingdom of God. We have other religions that pervert the gospel. and, and Like the prosperity gospel that, that perverts the promises and the truths of God's word. We have atheism, which just denies the very existence of God. In fact, this last week, I was reading how... Uh, the Samaritan's Purse, a nonprofit Christian relief organization, how they're setting up a hospital in Central Park in New York and it's being ridiculed because of its Christian values. What we have all throughout the world is that the kingdoms of this world are rejecting the people of God, are rejecting the kingdom of God. They want nothing to do with the rule of God. And so if we're born, into this kingdom of the world, if that's you and that's me, and we naturally resist and rebel against the rule of God, how is it we get to revelation? How is it that God has a people who will worship Him and live with Him and be fully satisfied as we live in His glory for all of eternity? How do we get there? And so that's what we have, the story that goes from Genesis to Revelation. It explains that. And in the Old Testament, God gives us promises and pictures of a coming king. A king who will one day establish the very kingdom of God so that he would save a people who would once again live in the presence of God enjoying the very rule of God for all of eternity. And so that's the Old Testament. And when we come to Matthew, we have, uh, it's like all the lights get turned on and we see everything now in 4K because Jesus in Matthew chapter four, verse 37, he says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. He's saying, guys, the kingdom is here. Everything you've been waiting for. Everything you've been looking for. All the promises in the Old Testament. They're now coming true in me. God's kingdom is here. And in fact, when we go through the book of Matthew, like chapters 5, 6, and 7, which are known as the Sermon on the Mount, there Jesus describes what it looks like to be a citizen of God's kingdom as we live here in this world. And then as we get to uh, Matthew chapter 13, Jesus begins giving parables. These parables talk about the beauty, the expansion, the eternality of God's Kingdom. When we keep going, in Matthew 24, 14, this is what Jesus says. He says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And at the very end of the book, in Matthew 28, verse 18, 19, and 20, Jesus is now risen from the grave, and he sends his disciples out, and he says, go therefore make disciples of all nations. He's sending out disciples, and if you believed in Jesus, then you and I, we share that mission that we're to go to all ends of the earth telling people about the good news of our King, Jesus Christ. And we're told when the news of Jesus, the news of Jesus as the King, the one who saves the people to be in the very presence of God, when that message goes forth, goes viral to all parts of the world, God will then send forth, send His Son to come back again Where at that point, all the kingdoms of this world, all those who have rejected God, will then be judged and destroyed. Jesus will gather His church. He will bring us into the new heavens and new earth, what we see in Revelation 21 and 22, where God will be fully glorified and we are fully satisfied. All throughout God's Word, we see that our heart will only find true joy and peace and satisfaction in the very presence of God. And that is what Jesus has come to do, that he would save us from our sin and bring us into the very kingdom of God. This is the message of God's word. And so, uh, so who is this king then? So that's, that's what, that's what our text is going to start looking at. So Jesus comes and we're told that he's the king and he's the one who brings us into the kingdom. So who is this king? Who is this king that we read about in Matthew 21? And so what I want us to do is now walk through our text and see who Jesus is and how is it that he brings us into the kingdom of God. Well, first thing we see in our text is that Jesus sends two of his disciples and they go get two donkeys and they bring them back to Jesus so that he's going to ride one of them as he goes into Jerusalem. Now, now why is that important? Well, it's important because remember what I said earlier. In the Old Testament, God gives promises and pictures of the coming king. And what Matthew does, he says in verse 4, this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. He's saying, remember that promise back in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9? It's being fulfilled right now in Jesus Christ. And in Zechariah 9, we are given this incredible picture of Jesus. Of, of Jesus coming as a king who's going to rule, who's going to bring peace to all the earth, whose rule will extend to all parts of the earth. And so let me read Zechariah verses nine, chapter 9, verses 9 and 10. And I want us to see what this passage tells us about who Jesus is. So here we go. Chapter 9, verse 9 of Zechariah. "'Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! "'Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem! "'Behold, your king is coming to you! "'Righteous and having salvation is he, "'humble and mounted on a donkey, "'on a colt, the foal of a donkey!' I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. So Zachariah is all about pointing God's people to this future king. And here we're given this description. So what I want to do is just, what does Zachariah say about who Jesus is? About who this king is that's coming? Number one, Jesus is righteous. We see that. He is the perfect king. Everything he does, everything he says is perfect, is right, is true. He is the king who executes justice. He faithfully governs. He lives with integrity. He delivers the oppressed and is generous to the poor. There is no fault in him. There is no corruption in him. There is no scandal or sexual immorality in his past. He's not what we would say as as a politician. He gives no empty promises. He is holy and majestic in his every action. He is worthy of all worship and devotion. He is the brilliance and the radiance of the very image of God. This is who comes, the perfect king, the king who will lead us in perfect righteousness. Secondly, we see Jesus is salvation. He's the one who bears salvation. He's the one who saves us. Now, in our world today, many people will say you believe what you want, I'll believe what I want, and we all get to the end we all get to the same place at the end. That's what's known as universalism. Now, that might work if we're going to go through a park or go through a hike in a forest, we can take different trails and probably get to the same place at the end, the same destination. But that doesn't work when we're talking about salvation and how we get into the presence of God. Jesus says, "I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. You see, universalism denies the truth of scripture. And and what we know is you can't have two opposing truths be true at the same time. That's foolish thinking. So either there's, uh, so what we have is that Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the light. If anyone is going to come to the Father, it will be through me. No one gets into the kingdom of God except through the King, Jesus Christ. Next, we see Jesus' peace. In verse 10, we're told that Jesus will speak peace to the nations. What we see in this world is that there is war all over the place. In fact, America, for the majority of its existence, has been characterized by war. Most of the nations in every country has been plagued by war ever since the beginning of its existence. But when Jesus returns, all the kingdoms of this world will be destroyed. And those who know him will be brought into his kingdom, where well, we will experience perfect peace, joy, and harmony at all times. Next, we see Jesus is the supreme ruler. Verse 10, it says, Jesus' rule will go from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. Jesus is the supreme king. All the kings, all the kings of this world will fall and be crushed before him. His kingdom alone will last. His kingdom alone will last for all of eternity. But now, what's interesting, okay, so let's come back to Matthew. Matthew is quoting Zechariah 9, and when a New Testament writer quotes an Old Testament, he wants you to understand the context of the passage that he's he's quoting from. But we also need to pay attention to what exactly does the New Testament writer quote, and why doesn't he quote everything else? And what we have here in Matthew is while Matthew quotes Zechariah 9, he doesn't mention that Jesus is the... uh, the supreme ruler, the peace, the salvation, uh, that he is the righteous king. What he does is he says, Jesus is the humble and gentle king. That's what he's narrowing our focus on. All those other things are true. Matthew wants those to be in the back of our minds, but what he wants us to first and foremost see is that Jesus is a humble and gentle king. Now, it's not unusual for G, for, a, for a king to ride in to a city on a donkey. Oftentimes, in times of peace, a king would do that. In fact, we have other examples in God's word where a king rides on a donkey. But what Matthew wants us to do is see that the symbol of Jesus riding on a donkey or the, the act of riding on a donkey is really symbolic of really who Jesus is. You see, in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, A couple of disciples come to Jesus and they say, hey, we want to sit your right and left hand in the kingdom of God. Can you give that to us? And Jesus says, hold on. Hold on. I need to help you guys understand what it means to rule, what real power looks like in the kingdom of God. And so Jesus says, I'm going to tell you what real power looks like. And I want you to look at my life and this is what you're going to see. And he says this in verse 28 of chapter 20 even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, Jesus is not like the kings of this world, and the kingdom he brings is not like the kingdoms of this world. He's a different king bringing forth a different kingdom. The values of God's kingdom are not the same as the kingdoms of this world. Jesus comes in humility, in love, in kindness, and gentleness. He came to serve. Do you know that? He came to serve you and to me. He did not come to be served, but to serve. And he came in gentleness. Now, in the first century, the Jews were looking for a coming king. Their hope was that this one coming that from the son of David, this great Messiah king would one day come and he would rescue them from the rule of Rome. They were hoping that Jesus, as he enters in, that he would be this warrior king and that he would bring down the plagues that God did on Egypt and that he would rescue them and that Israel once again would become this mighty superpower ruling over all the nations. That was their expectation. And we see that this is their mindset. Look at verse 9. The crowds are singing, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. They're particularly focusing, okay, you're the Son of David. You're the one we've been looking for. Hosanna. That word means save us. And this psalm comes, or this this song that they're singing comes from Psalm 118 which would have been sung during the Passover time, which would have been sung as they're looking for the king to come, who will perform a new great exodus, who will save them. And so they're saying, Jesus, you've now come. Save us from Rome. Save us. Bring us into the salvation that we need. You see, they believe their biggest problem is physical. They believe that if their circumstances were just different, then everything would be okay. Now, this is what sin does sin will always cause us to think our problem is is out here it's simply our circumstances our problem is our job our problem is our boss our problem is our spouse our children some other relationship our problem is a location it's where we live or where we want to live or where we're not living Our problem is that we do not have enough money. Our problem is Republicans. Or our problem is Democrats. Our problem is the coronavirus. And just if those things could be fixed, then everything would be okay. But according to the Bible, our biggest problem is not something that lies out here, outside of us. But the biggest problem is that we have sin in our hearts. Because you and I are sinful, we've rebelled against God. We have rebelled against his rule, and thus we are under God's wrath. Our allegiance is to the kingdoms of this world. And what we're told is that our kingdom will one day, when God returns, will crumble underneath the wrath of God, just like a toothpick under a mighty stone. It will be crushed. But this is why Jesus came. This is why Jesus came. This is why he's riding into Jerusalem on this donkey. He comes forth as this humble, gentle king. Because what he has done, he has set aside his glory, his infinite splendor. He's clothed himself in humanity. That he would come like you and me. Where he would, um, on Sunday he rides in on a donkey. Where on Friday he would be crucified. Where he would be killed. Where he would take your place and my place and stand and received the very wrath of God that you and I should have received because of sin. He died in our place so that by faith in him, we could be saved. You see, Jesus is the king who came to serve us, not to be served. And the way he serves us is through his grace, his humility, and his gentleness. By coming and standing in your place and in mine, taking the wrath of God so we could receive the very peace of God. So we could have the promise of living with God for all of eternity, for not being under his wrath. This is what Romans 5.1 says. It says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace comes through Jesus. The way to the kingdom of God is Jesus. The way we have peace with God is through Jesus. You see, Jesus is a different king bringing forth a different kingdom. One characterized by love, humility, and gentleness. Now, many would not believe in Jesus because they did not because he did not fit their expectations. They wanted a king who looked and acted a certain way. They wanted a king whose power and whose might and his strength was obvious. They wanted a king who would, who would provide them all that they needed, who would make them powerful, who would give them rule and dominion over others which is why they shouted Hosanna on Sunday, but then on Friday, many of these would then yell, crucify him. He did not meet their expectations. Therefore, they do not want him to be king. Therefore, they have rejected God, just as Adam and Eve rejected God in the garden, and everyone since then has, so they reject Jesus from being their king. You see, the world thinks it's foolish to worship a crucified king. They think it's foolish to worship a king who rides in on a donkey. They think it's foolish to worship a king who, who's pictured as a slaughtered lamb. The world wants a powerful king. The world wants a king made in its image. The world says that the Bible, uh, that the Jesus of the Bible is too weak. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.18. He says, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. I Meaning it's foolish. A crucified king, foolish to the world. That's what it thinks. But the irony is. Here's the irony. The crowds, they want a king who will save them. They want a king who will bring them freedom. They want a king who will rescue them like God did from Egypt. And the thing is, that is exactly what Jesus came to do, and they missed it. But see, Jesus came to save them from a much greater kingdom, from a much greater problem. Jesus didn't come to save them from a physical physical kingdom like Egypt or like Rome. He came to save them from the kingdom of this world. He came to save them and to bring them into the freedom and the joy of the kingdom of God so that by faith in him, we would be forgiven. So that by faith in him, Jesus would wash our sins so we'd be cleansed, we'd be made righteous, we'd be made uh, into a new creation. We'd be given a citizenship in God's kingdom. You see, God Has come to save us from being slaves to the sin of this world, so that we'd be His children, so that we'd be sons of righteousness, so we'd be brought into His kingdom. So um, I want us to think as, as we as we look at this, as we think through this text. Two responses that we ought to have. Number one, we ought to repent now, for Jesus came in humility that we would be saved. Hear this. Jesus came from heaven to earth. He humbled himself so that he would go to the cross and so that we, by his grace, would also humble ourselves. We'd receive the free gift of Jesus. You see, salvation is not something we obtain in our power, in our might, in our strength. It's something that comes to us by grace through faith, meaning we're simply just Trusting in who Jesus Christ is and all that He's done for us at the cross and the resurrection. So I want to encourage you repent. This is the time that we live in. As Jesus is pictured as this slaughtered lamb, as this king riding on a donkey, this is the time of repentance. This is the time that you and I as disciples, we are to proclaim the message of the kingdom so that it goes to all parts of the world so that all people would have the opportunity to hear, there is a king. And he has rescued us from the futility of this world. He has rescued us from the kingdoms of this world, which will one day be judged and destroyed. And he has rescued us so we would have life, everlasting life, and that our hearts and our souls would be satisfied as we live in the very presence of the glory of God. When that message goes out and Jesus returns, the time of repentance will be over. So I encourage you, repent now if you've not trusted in Jesus, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand because there's going to come a day when Jesus does return and no longer will he be pictured as a slaughtered lamb. No longer will he be riding in on a donkey. But Revelation 19 says he's going to ride in on a white horse. He's going to be the warrior king. And this is what we read in Revelation 19, verse 15. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. Hear this. There's a day coming when Jesus will return. On that day, all who have not trusted in Jesus will, like paper before a fire, be consumed, be turned into ash. will experience the judgment and the fury of God. In fact, if you go on through Matthew, like in Matthew 25, Jesus gives some parables about what it looks like as we wait for the return of Jesus. And he also tells us what it looks like for those who will not believe in Jesus. And he says, there'll be darkness and gnashing of teeth. There's a judgment that is coming for all who have rebelled and rejected God. So the time now is to repent So I encourage you to repent. There is no greater decision that you can make than to trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the King who has come to serve us in gentleness and humility. He left left heaven that He would come to earth and He would bring us back with Him into His presence. Secondly, let us rejoice now for our King has come And he's coming again. Oh, if you've believed in Jesus, I encourage you, let's be full of joy. We know the one who has eternal life. We know the one who rules over all creation. We know that right now this coronavirus we know that the locusts in Africa, we know the earthquakes that are happening, we know that all the problems and the pains and the turmoils and the things in this world are not outside of God's control. But He is ruling and reigning, and in His divine, mysterious, providential sovereignty, He's bringing everything under control, moving us towards the end of Revelation, where His Son will return and gather His people, and the new heavens and new earth will come. He's moving us towards that right now. So let us be full of hope and let us be full of joy as we know who reigns. Jesus Christ, our King, is on the throne right now. Let it bring peace and hope and joy to our hearts. And when I encourage you. One of the ways we rejoice in our King is by living like our King. Remember chapters 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount. They're all, they're given to us as what does it live to right now live as a citizen of God's kingdom. He talks about the fact that we're to love one another, but not just those who love us. We're to love our enemies as Christ has also loved us when we were his enemies. We're to turn our cheek on those who persecute us. We're to spend time in prayer. We're to, we're to store up treasures in heaven. We're to love one another. We're to be truthful with our words. Listen, our lives are to be a testimony to the rule and the goodness of our King Jesus. The way that we live is to show the world the hope that we have. And the way that happens is when we live out the obedience to God's word. For when we obey God's word, we're obeying our king. And we're showing this world what it looks like to live and enjoy the very blessing of God's rule. So I want to encourage you, let us be students of the word. Let's be learners of the word. Remember, to learn God's word means to, lit, to to learn and to live like Christ. So let's obey his word. Let's demonstrate our obedience to the world, showing the world the truth of Jesus Christ. Remember, 1 Peter 3.15, Ben right now is is teaching the youth uh, the truth that's in this verse, that the world ought to see us and ask us about the hope that we have. Well, what is our hope? Our hope is in our King. Our hope is that our King came to serve us. Our hope is that our King came to serve us and bring us into His presence for all of eternity, so that even in the face of death, we do not need to lose hope, but we can rejoice knowing that death is gain because it just brings us into the very presence of Christ. Oh, when we believe in Jesus, there is nothing we need to fear. For God himself is our God. And by his presence, we are filled with joy and blessing. And so I encourage you, let us rejoice today in our King. As as the crowds were singing, Hosanna to the son of David. Well, they didn't actually know what they were saying. They didn't know the truth of what they were actually proclaiming. But we do. Because of where we stand in history, we know that Jesus has gone to the grave, has risen from the grave, has conquered and sits now at the right hand of the throne of God. So let our hearts be full of joy. Let's teach our children the joy that we have in Christ. Let's display the joy that we have right now during this coronavirus, during this time of social distancing, when many people are talking about the problems, the frustrations that they're having. We can talk about the joy we have. Now, it doesn't mean we don't have problems. It doesn't mean we don't talk about those. But we talk about them differently because of our love in Jesus Christ and because the rule of God gives us an everlasting peace. Psalm 96, uh, it says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless His name. Tell of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations. His marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. Splendor and majesty are before Him. Strength and beauty are in His are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory. Do his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. May that be the, the song of our hearts. That we know our God rules on high. That the idols of this world are worthless. For the Lord has made the heavens. The Lord is our creator. And Jesus Christ is our King. That is the hope that we have. Jesus is our king. He's a different king in a different kingdom that he brings. Let us praise him. Let's close in prayer. Our Father, Father, we praise you that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to come to this earth, that he would serve us, that we could be saved from our sins, that we could be adopted into your family, that we would be made citizens of your kingdom. And I just pray. We would know that truth. That, that that truth would just work its way deeper into our heart, into our soul, and into our mind. And that every day that we wake up, every day we go about, whether it's just doing family life at our houses, or we go into the workplaces or with our friends or wherever we're at, that we would go forth in the joy and the knowledge and the hope that Jesus Christ, you are King. You came 2,000 years ago fulfilling scripture, and we know that there's a day you will come again. And on that day, Lord, we long for that day, for you will bring forth your kingdom and all of its fullness, and we who have believed in you will rejoice as you make all things new, a new heavens and new earth, and your glory will fill this world. Lord, may we long for that day. May we look forward to that day. And Lord, May we live in light of that day. May we be obedient to you. May we testify of your greatness to this world. May our love and our acts of kindness and gentleness display your love. And may we proclaim your rule with our words. Lord, we praise you that you are king. We long for the day that you return. In your wonderful name, Jesus, amen.